last week I mentioned um, the strongest man TV series, and I said it's on HGTV. If you went home and you searched HGTV looking for the strongest man on earth, you couldn't find it. Good luck looking for that. You're not going to find it. It's actually on the History Channel. That's just one of those things where in the moment I, I said, I was just thinking HGTV for whatever reason, and that's what I said. Now, I know that Chip Gaines, he's a pretty strong guy, and he's probably not the strongest. Or the Property Brothers, if you know HGTV, they're pretty strong, but I don't think that they compete with the strongest man. So if you do actually need to look up that, it's look into the History Channel. And then last week's message, I focused on Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 to 31, looking at the strength that God wants to give to us. Monday morning, I had my online class that I'm part of every, every Monday morning, and my professor read Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 and 31. And I thought, I know this one. I know this passage pretty well. And his, his request, what he, what he wanted to find out from us was, based on your last week, looking over the last week, are you soaring, are you running, or are you walking? And it was, it was really, in, in many ways for me, eye-opening. Because I think that when we hear this, those whose hope is in the Lord, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But what do we do? All we think about is, I'm going to soar. I'm going to soar. And if we're not soaring, there must be a problem. And I like his question because he said, be honest. Are you soaring? If you're not soaring, are you running? If you're not running, are you walking? And he told us a story. And he spent a half an hour doing this about a time he's Canadian and when he was up in Canada, he was in a snowstorm, and he got stranded. And he, the, the, people, the group of people he was with, he was praying, God, we just want to get out of this. We want to make it through. And these are the verses that came to their mind, and their, their prayer was, Lord, may we soar on wings like eagles. And they, they soon realized that we're not soaring and so they, their prayer was, well, God, make us run and not grow weary. And they realized, we're not running. And God, please allow us to walk and not be faint. And he said, one foot in front of the other is how they made it through the snowstorm. And God was their strength. They walked so be careful. We, we might hear that and we think, I'm going to soar. That's great if that's what God allows us to do. But there are times where we are walking. And sometimes what we need to do is just simply put one foot spiritually in front of the next. God, what do you have next for me? What do you have for me today? And I wanted to pass that along to you. This morning, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. That's where we'll be this morning. With the time that we have left, Second Corinthians chapter 12. By the way, Seth, thank you for leading worship this morning. 
Seth and I got a, had a chance to meet together and talk about how this would play out having communion as part of our worship and singing. Um, and I appreciate you, you doing this and giving your mind to this as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, there is a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You're welcome to turn there. If you do, I'm looking at page 822. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10 this morning. This is written by the Apostle Paul, and the subtitle in my Bible, my NIV Bible here, says Paul's vision and his thorn. He has a vision, but he also has a thorn. He gets both. Verse 1, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but Again, God knows. He was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or by what I say. Pause there. This is interesting, because Paul is saying, I'm not going to boast about myself. I don't want to boast about myself. And yet theologians all agree That the very man that Paul is referring to here is himself. And and theologians agree on that because look at verse 7. We haven't read it yet. But to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. To keep me from becoming conceited. This is Paul. Paul is talking about this. He's saying, 14 years ago I had these revelations and they were spectacular. They were incredible, but I'm not allowed to tell, and I'm not going to boast about myself, but I'll boast about a man who has a revelation as such, what I did. What, what's going on here? Why is he saying this? Well, I, I want, I don't have all the answers here, but I want you to consider something That 14 years have gone by, and Paul hasn't talked about this. 14 years previous, which would have made it about A.D. 42, when Paul had these revelations, perhaps in Antioch. And he has remained quiet. He's remained silent about them. He's not talking about them. And yet, 14 years later, now he has the green light, the go-ahead, to, you can reference them, you cannot give the details. But go ahead and talk and at least explain that you had these incredible revelations. 
Why a green light now? Well, I think that perhaps the coming verses might explain a little bit why he had this green light and why he is going to talk about these revelations that he had. By the way, 14 years, that's a short amount of time in the grand scope of things, but have you ever known something that was spectacular and yet you could not share it with anyone for an extended length of time? That's hard. Paul knew something, but he was not permitted to tell it. Well, look at verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I think this is perhaps a little bit of the reason why Paul is explaining that something great happened. Because something hard is happening right now. And I think that might be, this is my own take, okay? I think that might be why, why he is explaining this. Something great happened 14 years ago. But, but God understands that with this unexplainably beautiful revelation that he's had, if he doesn't have a thorn, this could go to his head. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Do you recognize that God is the one who is actually allowing this thorn God is even the one who is allowing this, quote, messenger of Satan to torment him. Now, does God work this way? Yeah. I think of Job. Where God has extreme power. He is all-powerful. And yet, in this case, God is permitting a thorn and he is permitting a messenger for the purpose of humility. In order to keep Paul from becoming conceited, he allows a thorn into his life. Can I ask you a question? What does God allow into your life To keep you humble. Can you recognize what that is? Do you know what God allows into your life? For the sole purpose of humility. I think it's good for us to wrestle with that. Because all of us. Pastors very much included. Can become conceited. Our heads can become bigger than what they were ever intended to be. And for that, I believe God says, I have a thorn for you. And the purpose of this thorn is going to keep you from growing conceited. Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And verse 9 But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in 
weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away. And part of me thinks, come on, Paul, only three times? You got to be kidding me. You're human, right? Like you were praying over and over again. That's what I'd be doing. Now, I don't know. This is, again, I'm reading in between the lines, and I cannot say for sure either way, but my tendency is to believe that he probably did come day in, day in, day out. God, give me strength. Help me through this. Take this away. But it seems he's saying for sure there's three times, and I think it was probably three times in particular where he's saying, I mean business. God, I am coming to you, and I am begging of you. Remove the thorn. Please take the thorn away. Do you recall a passage that we were just confronted with this morning? Where three times someone pleaded with God, take this away? Jesus. It's a passage that Stacy read this morning. Three times, Matthew tells us, Jesus, and I love the other gospel writers because they paint a really vivid picture here. Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane fell on his face. This this paints a picture of the anguish of what he knew he was about to go through, and he pleaded with the Lord, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. Yet not what I will but what you will be accomplished. Jesus himself surrendered his own will to the Father's will. I want your will above all. I think that's ultimately what Paul is getting at here. Three times Paul came to the Lord, would you take this thorn away? Is God capable of removing thorns? Absolutely. Does God remove every thorn from us? No, not necessarily. Sometimes his message is the same as it was for Paul. And the message that Paul was given was this message from the Lord Jesus. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. My grace is actually more than enough. My grace is all that you need. You will learn something in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this thorn. You will learn something, Paul, about my grace because it's sufficient. But not only that, Jesus said, my power, Jesus' power is made perfect in weakness. When we feel weak, that's not bad. That is not a bad place. When we are weak, when we understand we're weak, Jesus says, I will manifest my power. I will make my power known to you. And so Paul says, well, in that case, here's the thing I'm going to brag about. If I brag about anything, it is about this. I'm weak. I'm weak and I get it. I understand that I am weak. 
And when I understand that I am weak, that is my strength. Because Christ's power is made known to me. In my weakness, I find his power. Now, there's a little bit more going on here, and I want to, I want to point it out to you. Paul is saying, he says, when I am weak, Christ's power rests on me. When he says that his power rests on him, there's some imagery here. There's imagery which takes us back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament tabernacle was pitched among God's people. It rested among God's people. In the New Testament, we have Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and he came and John tells us that he dwelt among us. That is that he tabernacled among us. Jesus himself came to dwell with us, tabernacle with us, rest among us. Are you going through something difficult? If you are a believer in Jesus, you are in the best company you could ever have. Why? Because all-powerful Christ pitches his tent with people in their weakness. That is how Jesus operates. Look at the Gospels. Look at the Gospels and look at those people that Jesus was drawn to. It was people in the midst of their weakness. It was people who understood their weakness. Do you understand your own weakness? If we understand our own weakness, this is our strength. It is our strength to understand that we are weak. Look at verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm actually strong. When I understand I'm weak, that is when I am actually strong. Paul says, for this matter, I'm actually going to delight in weaknesses. And he goes on to explain, I delight in insults. Do you delight in insults? I have a hard time delighting in insults. But he's saying, I'll delight in insults. I will delight in my hardships. I will delight in being persecuted. And he was. And I will delight in difficulties. Because that is what reminds me that I'm frail. That I'm weak. And I need Jesus. I need him to be the source of my strength. My desire going into this three-week series on the source of my strength was actually to, my thought was, I'm going to, I I will really elevate the strength of God. And I I want to do that. My thought was, I I really want to focus mostly about the Lord is the source of my strength. I want that to be the emphasis. I don't want to so much just come back and talk about difficulties and pain and hardship. 
I thought we, I, I feel as though we do that enough. And so I thought, I don't want to really focus on that. Let's make the focus really the strength of God. And yet, as I've been working through these passages, like last week's passage from Isaiah, or this week's passage from 2 Corinthians, I recognize that to understand the strength of God, I am very much confronted with my own weakness. How can I not talk about that? For me to understand my need for the Lord's strength, I must be honest about my own weakness. And when I see myself for who I really am, that yes, I am weak, that is when I am drawn to the strength of the Lord. Last week I mentioned one of the places we might be tempted to turn to for strength is inward. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'll do this myself. Based on this passage, do you understand why that is futile? I'm weak. And you are weak too. But when we understand that we actually are weak, that is what causes us to look to the Lord draw our strength from him. Is God truly the source of your strength? Have you been honest with yourself? Just because you're a believer does not mean that you are looking to God for your source of strength. Just because I'm a pastor does not mean that I am looking to God for my source of strength. Human nature has a tendency of believing we are far stronger than what we actually are. And we like to do things on our own power or by the power of other people or other things. And this is futile. Have you recognized that? Paul recognized that he was weak. And he said, that's the very thing that I'm going to brag about. That's what I'll get excited about. That's what I will talk about. What changed for the Apostle Paul? Not a whole lot. He still had the thorn. He asked God, take the thorn away, and God said, no. And by the way, that is an answer as well. And yet in the midst of that no, Paul learned something about the Lord's strength that he wasn't able to understand any way else. He understood that God's strength is perfected when I'm weak. And I understand a beautiful display of God's strength in my weakness. And he understood that I'm weak. Do I understand this? Do you understand this? If we cannot understand this, we will not be able to receive the Lord's strength. Lord, with this, we close this service. Uh, Father, I, before we close with this final song, I just I pray that you speak to us. I pray that you've been speaking. 
You know each of us where we live, what we have gone through. You know what our last week has been like. If we're honest, maybe we'd say, I wasn't soaring. I wasn't running. I feel like I was even barely walking. I feel like I'm limping. Lord, if that's the case, then we recognize that we are weak. But may we come to you in that weakness. Because as we come to you in weakness... You make your strength known, not to make us strong, but to reveal that you are strong and that we can grab hold of your strength. So for that, Lord, I thank you for difficulty. I thank you for pain because it pushes us to you. Lord, thank you. In the midst of difficulty, you pitch your tent with us. You are a good companion of those of us who recognize that we are weak. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.